You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word for today's sermon from Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever would have, you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we lifted our voices.
in song just a few minutes ago, and in, in the song there was a request. We want to behold you. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would attend to the preaching of the word and that we would behold our God in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. I hope you know the five solas of the Reformation. I hope you give generously to see the gospel advance in your neighborhood and across the nations. I hope you're committed to this church and to serve your fellow members. I hope you're a good citizen and engage in every appropriate way to see the right people elected and the right policies enacted. If the Lord has blessed you in this way, I hope you're sacrificially devoted to your wife and children. I hope you sing with great passion when you gather in this room every Sunday. And I hope none of you believes that being orthodox and generous and selfless that being committed to your country and your family and your church, I hope none of you believes that all of this alone will keep you from going to hell. You see, friends, what I just described is nothing more than a modern-day Pharisee. On the outside, everything looks good. You check all the boxes You appear to be a model Christian, but on the inside, your heart is defiled. It's unclean, and you're in desperate need of Jesus. Danny Aiken writes, a Pharisee in the first century was not scorned as a legalist. No, he was looked up to as a model citizen and a person of piety and religion, Unfortunately, Pharisees had, as Paul says, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Amazingly, we can have a passion for God, yet not know God. We can be deceived, captured, and enslaved by the deadly lure of legalism. Aiken concludes, tragically, those most familiar with the church are often the most susceptible to this deception. Our pride in our religious rituals, church practices, and cultural traditions blind us to both our great sinfulness and the great Savior who alone can rescue us from our sin. Redeemer, let me make this warning even more pointed. There are those who have gone out from this church, those who gave every appearance that they were believers, 
They knew their doctrine and they were even eloquent in their declarations of the gospel, but Jesus never had their heart. Let us not quickly dismiss our text this morning, but let's examine our hearts, asking the Holy Spirit to make plain our true spiritual condition. As his popularity is growing, so is the tension between the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus. Simply put, they hate Jesus. They have now tracked him down again, and they are ready to confront him in their confrontation of Jesus and Jesus' response, we will learn a lot about legalism. According to Pastor Eric Raymond, it's in its most basic sense, legalism believes that we can earn or keep God's favor by what we do. This is why the religious leaders of his day opposed Jesus so fervently. They had constructed a system of law, taking what God had established with Moses and adding layer upon layer of their own arbitrary rules. They had constructed a false way of salvation over which they were the ultimate judge and jury. In their minds, only they understood the kingdom of God and only they knew the way into the kingdom. And along comes Jesus. And everything he said and everything he did flew in the face of what the scribes and Pharisees were most passionate about. As we walk through our text today and we examine carefully this showdown between Jesus and the religious elite, we'll see the essence of legalism the devastation of legalism and the utter futility of legalism. First, the essence of legalism. Look again at verse one. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. This is one of the many moments we have recorded in the Gospels where the religious authorities think they've ensnared Jesus. I, I call these gotcha moments. In their staggering pride and arrogance, they, they think they're going to expose Jesus as a fraud. And they'll do this by showing how he and his disciples transgress the law. In this case, Jesus' disciples failed to wash their hands. You see, they went shopping, and between the time they went shopping and they ate, they didn't properly wash their hands. Now, setting aside this hand-washing law of the Pharisees and scribes, you may be thinking the disciples do sound like kind of a gross bunch of men and Children, listen to me. You, you cannot take what I say this morning and go home when your parents encourage you to wash your hands and say, well, the disciples didn't. Don't do that. We need to understand that this isn't about hygiene. 
this situation, Mark records, isn't primarily about whether or not the disciples had good manners. One commentator explains, this was all about ritual purity and religious traditions that went beyond scriptural commands. These traditions were used to establish the spiritual superiority of the Pharisees and scribes over the common people. Again, this is an attempt by the religious authorities to dismiss the claims of Jesus, exposing him as a fraud. And they were attempting to do this by shining a spotlight on the lawless actions of his disciples. Now, why was this the tactic they were using? Because to these men, the law was everything. The law was their way of earning favor with God. Keeping the law was the basis of their confidence that God would accept them. Obedience to the law was the pathway into the kingdom of heaven. And the fact that they were the gatekeepers of this law made them feel supremely good about themselves. So in their minds, if they could show how Jesus and his followers were ignorant or dismissive of the law, they could prove Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be. This is how much the law meant to the Pharisees and scribes. Now, also remember this. When the Pharisees and scribes talked about the law, they weren't talking about the law of Moses as it was plainly given in the Old Testament scriptures. No, they were talking about the law as the law of Moses plus all of the additional rules that they had stacked up on top of what Yahweh delivered to his people through his servant Moses. This is what we find in verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. If you were to go back into the Old Testament and scour its pages for regulations about hand washing and how it related to ritual cleanliness, you would find very little. You would find instructions given to Israel's priests as they prepared to enter the holy place to offer sacrifices. But you wouldn't find anything about regular people needing to go through any sort of ritual cleansing before they ate. So then, what are the Pharisees and scribes talking about? They're talking about rules that various rabbis had added over time. And, and now they're, they're all lumped together and treated with the authority of God's divinely delivered law to his people. R.C. Sproul explains... This is what the Pharisees had in view when they spoke of the tradition of the elders. 
All of the principles and regulations that the rabbis added to the law of God were passed on from generation to generation orally until they were finally compiled in the third century AD as the Mishnah, which comprised the bulk of the Jewish Talmud at that time. Now please, please follow me. This is very important. What did Jesus say when he was masterfully teaching during what we call his Sermon on the Mount? His teaching followed this pattern. First, he would say, you have heard that it was said, and then he would add, but I say to you. What was he doing? Well, he was contrasting the law as it was given by God with everything that religious leaders had added to the law over time. He was making a clear distinction between the written scriptures, what God said, and the oral tradition, what men added. Now, don't miss this. You will never you will never find Jesus dismissing in any way what has been established in the written scriptures. But you will find him over and over and over again treating the oral tradition with righteous disdain. Through his words and actions, Jesus made it clear that the traditions of the elders were gross distortions of God's word that would send people to hell. And by the way, this is still true. This is why you must stay tethered to the word of God. This is why you must know the word of God. So when you're confronted with error, those things that have been added to the word, you can identify them and dismiss them. Think about the example in our text. Over time, the idea of ritual cleanliness was added to, and, and all these additional layers were then codified into law. And at the very heart of these arbitrary rules about ritual cleanliness was a way of thinking that was anti-gospel. One theologian writes, it is important to note that 25% of the Mishnah was devoted to ritual cleanliness and purity. The Pharisees believed in large part that salvation came from ethnic separation that they were saved by keeping themselves clean from any contamination from unbelievers or sinners. So they established all kinds of safeguards as they saw them. You see, friends, legalism adds human regulations to the law of God, and then deceives people into believing that salvation comes by adhering to this new demonic mixture of God's law and the traditions of men. This is precisely what was happening in our text. It's explicit in verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? What is it? What is it that the Pharisees and scribes are so appalled by? What do they find so offensive? It's not that the disciples of Jesus are disobeying the clear teaching of Scripture. It's that they aren't keeping all their rules. They aren't walking according to the tradition of the elders. Oh, friends, how can you spot a legalistic Pharisee? Or let's make this question personal. How can you know if you're a legalistic Pharisee? A legalistic Pharisee is someone who's far more bothered when his own rules are broken or ignored than he is when the commands of God are broken or ignored. Do you see how easily the spirit of legalistic Pharisaism can creep into our lives? How it can wreak havoc in our marriages and in our parenting? How it can keep us from meaningful relationships with unbelievers and how it could tear apart a church family? It is far too easy for our own spiritual standards to become more precious to us than the clear teaching of God's word. The essence of legalism is the displacing of God's standards of righteousness with our own in an effort to earn his favor by what we do. Look with me now, verses 6 through 13. And we'll see the devastation of legalism in his response to the accusations of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah and announces to the scribes and Pharisees that the prophet was talking about them. And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus isn't messing around here. The error of the religious leaders is no trivial matter. This is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. The word is, is also used to refer to an actor. The scribes and Pharisees acted like something they weren't. They played the part of those who revered the word of God, but it was, an all, it was all an act. It was a public show aimed at garnering the applause of men. Jesus is unmasking the spiritual hypocrites 
He's giving them nowhere to hide. Friends, this is what spiritual hypocrites do. We see this in the text. They say all the right things, but there's nothing deeper. There's no heartfelt submission to the authority of God, no inner longing to make much of him, no humble gratitude for his grace and mercy, no clear sense of need. There is only arrogant self-sufficiency hidden behind a mask of religious rhetoric and made-up regulations. We should probably pause here and ask a brutally necessary question. Does this describe me? Does this describe me? Am I an actor fooling everyone, going through all the religious motions so that people will notice me and they will applaud me? Or is there something deeper? Well, back to the text. In the pseudo-redemptive system of the scribes and Pharisees, the commandments and traditions of man have been elevated to a place of primary importance while the truth of God's word has been pushed to the side completely. This is the devastation of legalism. It trades, listen to me, it trades in the God-breathed message of life for the man-made doctrines of death. Jesus then offers a specific example. Look at verse nine. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Of course, most of you know this is the fifth commandment found in Exodus 20 and verse 12. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. This is the punishment for breaking the fifth commandment found in Exodus 21, 17. Verse 11, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is just one example. Jesus says, you do a bunch of stuff like this. Now here's what Jesus is saying. The written law of God commanded children to honor and respect their parents. This included caring for one's parents if they needed it. So imagine this scenario. Your parents need you to care for them but you don't want to. It'll be expensive. And frankly, you don't want to invest what is necessary to show them the honor and the respect they deserve. 
But you also know that the law of God prescribes a very serious consequence for those who fail to honor their parents. So where does this leave you? What are you going to do? How can you technically obey the law while also finding a way around it? Well, you're in luck because a man-made tradition gives you a loophole. If you simply say that your money or possessions are Corbin, you're good to go. Why? Because Corbin means devoted to God. This is the loophole. This is how you can get around the fifth commandment. Just say that you can't provide for your parents because everything you have is already devoted to God. Jesus is saying here in no uncertain terms that this is just one example of how the traditions of men have made void the word of God. That's a pretty serious statement. I remember back when I still used to pull out a checkbook once in a while and write a check. Occasionally, there, there was reason to void a check that I had written when I wrote that word void in big letters across the check, it, it meant that it no longer had any value. It was now just a worthless piece of paper. Friends, this is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing with the word of God. With all their added rules and regulations and loopholes, they made void the word of God. Again, this is the devastation of legalism. It voids out the life-giving promises of the gospel by replacing them with dishonest loopholes that promise freedom but deliver eternal judgment. Do you see, friends, why Jesus is so passionate in his opposition to the scribes and Pharisees. He opposes them so strongly because they, more than anyone else, are working against the very reason he came. He came to fulfill the righteous demands of the law so that he might offer salvation to all who repent and believe in him. The good news of Jesus is that he alone can deliver captives by his grace. Well, the false gospel of the scribes and Pharisees is an invitation to a life of ongoing captivity, crushed under the weight of the law with no future hope of anything other than eternal judgment. The devastation of legalism is that it promises what it cannot deliver. Keeping the law cannot save you. Only Jesus can. So we've seen the essence of legalism, the devastation of legalism. Finally, notice the futility of legalism. Look with me at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and 
understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. There is so much that could be said about this section of verses, but let me kind of get to the overarching point. What did I say earlier was driving so much of the legalism of the scribes and Pharisees? It was their unbiblical understanding that salvation could come by means of ritual cleanliness and purity, specifically keeping themselves clean from any contamination from unbelievers or sinners. This is why they were absolutely scandalized by Jesus' healing of those who were unclean and his dining with sinners. What Jesus has already established by his actions, he now makes clear with his words. Everyone's biggest problem is not the defilement that comes from the outside, but the defilement that already exists on the inside. In other words, the legalists would have said that the biggest danger you face spiritually is coming in contact with a sinner. Jesus says that the biggest danger you face is that you are a sinner. The legalists would have said that you need to follow all the rules and regulations and traditions of men that that way you might be clean enough to be accepted by God. Jesus says that the rules and regulations and traditions of men are utterly and completely meaningless because what makes you dirty is your own sinful heart. Look at verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. What Jesus reveals in verses 14 through 23, but especially in verses 21 through 23, would have been a startling indictment of the scribes and Pharisees if they had ears to hear. They had come to believe that their observance of the law, including all their own man-made traditions, this is what made them clean, acceptable to God and worthy of entrance into his kingdom. Jesus tells them they're dead wrong. They may think they've made themselves clean by some measure of external cleansing, but 
they have failed to deal with the part of them that is truly defiled, their hearts. And there is nothing they can do to clean their heart. The law can't transform them from the inside out. But Jesus can. In fact, Jesus can give them a new heart. This is the promise of the new covenant. And this is why legalism is so dangerous. Legalism tells you that there is something you can do to solve your greatest problem. Just do this, and you can save yourself. The gospel of Jesus Christ says there is nothing you can do to save yourself, but Christ has done it all. So lay down your efforts. Stop your striving and come to Jesus. The 17th century pastor and author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan was fond of saying this, and I think it summarizes the contrast between the message of the religious leaders and the good news of Jesus. It strikes at the very heart of legalism. This is what Bunyan often said. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Oh, friends, let us run to Jesus and let us invite as many people as we can to run to him as well. Let's pray.